Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. Uh, We're going to open up our Bibles now, and we're going to be reading from the book of Mark. Uh, Today we're looking at chapter 16, uh, verses 1 through 16. Uh, If you've got a Bible, I encourage you to get it out. If you haven't got a Bible and you would like a Bible to look at now or to look at at some point during the week, we have some Bibles across the aisles. Uh, You're welcome to grab one of those. You're welcome to take one of those home and keep it if you don't have one at home. Uh, All right, let's open up. Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 16. I'm reading from the NIV. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, the mother of James, sorry, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter... He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Thank you, Hayden. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be gathered together for the second time in three days to remember all that Christ has done for us. And I must admit, I was a bit confused when I went this morning to put on my Sunday jocks, and I realized I wore them on Friday. And so today I've got my Friday jocks on. So, uh, But it is great to gather again. Who was here Good Friday? Too much information at the start of a service, I know. Uh, it's great that you're back. And who enjoyed Good Friday? Powerful day, isn't it? To come and remember what Christ did for us on the cross, to remember his immense sacrifice for the sins of mankind as he gave his life on the cross at Calvary. And so on a day like that, it's only appropriate that we stop and consider his life and his death. But in many ways, Good Friday is a somber day. And it's a reflective time, remembering how much he indeed suffered on our behalf. Today, 
in contrast, is a great day of celebration. Today is the day that we can remember that the stone was rolled away, that Jesus was no longer in the tomb. Today is the day we celebrate the death and the defeat of death. Today is the day that we in great faith and great hope can declare he is risen. Today is the most important day in the Christian calendar, celebrating the most significant event in human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. And as good as Good Friday is, if Good Friday is all we have, then it wouldn't be good at all. We would be people with no hope for anything beyond this life. We would be found in the despair of death, remembering the useless death of an innocent man. If Jesus' death is all we remembered, our faith would be meaningless because the message of Christianity rests on Jesus' resurrection. It's what brings the hope of eternal life. As the video said, it's the day the mess became a message, the trial became a triumph, the test became a testimony, and the victim became victory. Resurrection Sunday is truly a wonderful day, and it's worth getting excited about this morning. But today, we're continuing the Easter story, and we're picking it up at Mark chapter 16. And as we look at this part of the text, we find a group of people who are post-crucifixion, but pre-resurrection. And his disciples find themselves trapped in that historical reality and they are gripped by the despair of death. A couple of years ago, I had the job of taking our 15-year-old dog to the vet to get put down and I promise I'm not going to cry again today. She'd been a great dog, but the onset of arthritis had set in and the medication hadn't really worked and she was in a lot of pain and she was at the point of just being miserable all the time. Kim had been encouraging me for a few months to make the call and to have her put down, and she's doing the same thing now with our new dog, but I'm telling her that eight months old is too young. (laughs) And the truth is, on the couch at night, when you look at the couch, you would swear that Darcy was married to Kim, not me. They, They cuddle up, and even though she says she doesn't like him, she loves him. That's another story. But to be honest, uh, in that season, I kept avoiding um, what I needed to do and go to the vet until one day I was looking through the back window and I saw our dog and she was in the back garden and she wanted to sit down and I could see in her eyes she wanted to but she couldn't. She, she sort of looked and then she turned around and then she looked again and then she turned around and I could see in her eyes thinking, I want to sit down, I don't know if I can and if I do, I've got to get up again and I'm not sure whether it's worth all the hassle and so as I watched her doing that I picked up the phone and I finally made the call. Now, leading up to that day was awful, and I was dreading that final trip to the vet, and the day came, and the family gathered, and we took all the goodbye photos and all the rest, and I did the final drive to the local vet, and by the time I got there, I was just holding it together, and I know what you're thinking, it's just the dog, but if you're thinking that, you've never had a dog, and if you've had a dog, you know that they become part of the family. Uh, Unlike the kids, you can lock them outside when they annoy you, but part of the family nonetheless. And so I got into the vet that day and I was in the waiting room waiting for our call up and this lovely pommy lady came over and started a conversation. She gave our dog a pat and she asked me, are you here for a checkup? And I said, "Uh, no, no, today's her her last day and I lost it. And uh, she instantly regretted asking the question. And she said, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, it's okay, it's just a grown man crying at the vet. And, And then eventually the vet called her name and I took her into the room and I I lifted her up onto the table and they shaved her paw and they inserted a needle with the green dream in it and she went off to sleep in my arms. 
And as I left the room, I looked back to say goodbye. I was pretty upset. And as I walked into the waiting room, they had the radio playing. And it was that song from the Fast and Furious after Paul Walker died. You know that song, See You Again? It's been a long day without you, my friend. And I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. Come a long way from where we began. And I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. When I see you again. And I thought, why? It was like a cruel joke. It was like they're waiting for me to open the door. And it's like, right, cue the music. It's been a long day. Anyway, the pain of losing a dog is, I'm sure, not the same level of pain that many have faced in life. And as a family, we've faced more painful things. But relatively speaking, it was a difficult time in our family. And every time I drive past that vet in Racecourse Road, I once again feel the despair of death as I think about our dog. At the beginning of today's passage, we read about a group of people who find themselves in the despair of death at a much greater level. Jesus, the man they had followed for the last three years, the man they believed was the Messiah they'd been waiting generations for, the man they had loved and had pinned their hopes on, had now been crucified and had been pinned to a cross. They'd been waiting so long for this man and now all of a sudden he was gone. It happened so quickly, so brutally, that I think this passage implies that they were even struggling to function. What we have here in this passage is a group of people who are shell-shocked, absolutely shattered and suffering through the despair of death. In verse 1, we see two dejected women making the sad journey to visit Jesus' tomb. His burial had been so hasty that they hadn't had an opportunity to anoint his body. And so they're heading there with an armful of spices to embalm him. They're on their way to show their respect and their adoration to a dead Christ. The two women are identified as Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James. Now, as we look back to Luke chapter 8, we hear more about Mary Magdalene's past. It tells us that she was a lady that had been possessed by seven evil spirits, and Jesus himself had cast those demons out of her. And so this lady has spent a large period of her life afflicted and avoided by pretty much everyone. But Jesus had come into her life, and her life had turned upside down and inside out. And I've got to say, I love it when Jesus does that. Thousands of years later, he's still coming into people's lives and turning them upside down and inside out. He is a glorious saviour. Mary Magdalene was a new person because of him. Many of you have got people in your life who have been influential in your life at key times in life. I know for me, I had a couple of youth group leaders who helped me through a difficult time of life when I was a young man, and they were there for me no matter what I did and no matter where I was. And I look back over my life, and I'm really grateful for the things they did in that season of my life, and they have a special place in my heart as a result. And I'm sure there's many people here, and you can think of people in your own life. Well, Mary Magdalene owed her life to Jesus. And the love, and therefore the grief, would have been immense. The other lady is another Mary, Mary, the mother of James, whose son was one of Jesus' chosen apostles. She was a wealthy woman who had used her wealth to provide for Jesus and his disciples with material things needed to assist them in ministry. 
This was another lady who believed in what Jesus had been doing and more to the point believed in who Jesus was, so much so that she was completely sold out. She'd given, invested her wealth and her life into his ministry. So these two ladies, heartbroken, disappointed and confused, make their way to the tomb. And on the way, they wonder who will be there to move the massive stone that sat over the entrance of that tomb. It's clear from the passage that they had no expectation of a resurrection. They had no hope of life. Likewise, in verse 11, we see that the disciples were mourning and weeping. They too were shattered men without hope, gripped by the despair of death. But as we read through the narrative, the story takes a dramatic and unexpected turn for these people when the two women arrived at the tomb in verse 4. They get there and they find that the stone is rolled away and as they entered the tomb, they're greeted by an angel and it says they were terrified. Now you can imagine if you were in bed at night and you hear a bump at the end of the bed and you wake up and there's an angel standing there. wouldn't matter how friendly they looked or how glorious they looked, I'm pretty sure you and I would be freaked out as well. And these ladies were completely freaked out. But the angel had come to deliver great news. And he says, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where you laid him, but go, tell his disciples and Peter. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and they fled from the tomb and they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And as we continue to read the story, we see that eventually Mary Magdalene did tell someone. She went and shared the news with the disciples. But when she did, they thought she was a crazy woman. They didn't believe her and they just disregarded what she had said. They were mourning and weeping without hope, in the despair of death, unable to function. And nothing she told them altered the way they were feeling or brought them any hope to the situation. In an ironic twist, two of those men go out and they're walking around and Jesus also appears to them and now it's their turn. They're excited. They've seen the risen Christ. They rush back to tell the rest of the disciples and guess what happens? They don't believe them either. And so finally Jesus appears to the disciples himself. I love how the Bible states things so matter of fact. But the danger is that we skip over moments that are incredibly profound. In verse 14, The first three words of that verse. Later, Jesus appeared. Later, Jesus appeared. He appeared to the 11 disciples. And those three words don't capture the gravity of that moment. Those three words don't do justice to how huge this is. What was dead has come to life right in front of their very eyes. I want you to try and put yourself in the story You're devastated. You're in this fog. You can't think clearly. Your hope has evaporated. You are so broken, so depressed, so angry, so confused, so incredibly sad. And then Jesus walks in the room. Just recently, I've heard stories about people today that have been found in a place of depression and brokenness in their life. And they've tried everything. They've tried medication, They've tried doctors, they've spent time in hospitals, they've been to psychologists, and nothing works until Jesus walks into their life. And Jesus walks into their life, and something they can only describe as supernatural happens, 
And he brings incredible joy where there used to be a deep depression. What we see in this passage is the very definition of a life-changing event. It's the moment where the impossible becomes a possibility right in front of you. It's the moment where death is defeated. It's the moment that all eternity hinges on. It's the moment where the disciples shift from the despair of death to the hope of life. Later, Jesus appeared. And he appears to the eleven as they were eating and he rebukes them for their lack of faith and for their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he has risen. And so they're excited to see Jesus. He's appeared, but the first thing he does is he rebukes them because they had refused to believe what the eyewitnesses had told them. Those eyewitnesses had seen the resurrected Christ with their own two eyes, but the disciples had refused to believe their testimony. In John's Gospel, we get even more detail about the moment that Jesus appeared to them, and it tells us that one of the disciples, Thomas, wasn't actually present when Jesus rocked up. And so when he returns, guess what? The disciples are so excited, but guess what? He doesn't believe them either. He doesn't believe it's true. Jesus had told them over and over again this would happen, but they'd missed it again and again. And now it has happened and they still don't believe. Thomas's exact words are these. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, unless I put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Well, wouldn't you know, Jesus appears to Thomas a short time later. And he does put his finger in the nail holes and he does touch Jesus' side. And Jesus says, Thomas, stop doubting and believe. And at that point, he's really got no alternative than to believe. So we read this story, we see that there's a lot of unbelief going on. Mary Magdalene's on the way to the tomb, not believing that Jesus could be resurrected. She hears from the angel. She goes and tells her story. People don't believe Jesus has been resurrected. There's two men who share their encounter with Christ and the disciples don't believe. Thomas hears the testimony of the other disciples and he doesn't believe. And as we fast forward throughout the years into 2017, we find ourselves in a world surrounded by the vast majority of people and guess what? They don't believe. Jesus rebuked them for their stubborn refusal to believe. And here we are today, 2017, Easter, at Follow Baptist Church, and we're faced with the same decision as these people this Easter time. Will we believe the eyewitness testimony of these people who saw the risen Christ with their own eyes and have recorded their testimony in this historical but living document we call the Bible? Or will we, like these people, reject it? Because your eternal destination hinges on your answer to that question. I know there can be many obstacles to stop us from believing the resurrection. There can be many doubts in our minds. We might think that it sounds far-fetched. How can we actually believe this is true? This morning we don't have time to go into great depth about the many proofs of the resurrection that do include these eyewitness accounts, an empty tomb, a body never discovered, But William Barclay, I think, gives what I have for years thought to be the most compelling evidence of the resurrection of all of it. He says that by far the best proof of the resurrection is the existence of the Christian church. Nothing else could have changed sad and despairing men and women into people radiant with joy and flaming with courage. 
these very same people in the depths of despair without a hope for life are the very same disciples who spend the rest of their lives traveling throughout the known world, sharing the gospel and declaring with faith Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection. They were so convinced that these same people who are in despair in this passage, actually the majority of them died for their belief in the resurrection. Let me tell you, that is compelling evidence that you would die for something you believe in so strongly. You might think, well, it's okay for them. We haven't seen Jesus risen on earth with our own two eyes. You know what? Jesus looked, I believe, through history to this moment to answer that objection for you. When he says to Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. As Mary Magdalene and Mary, mother of James, made their way to the tomb, there was a massive rock, which was an obstacle that stopped them from seeing Jesus. As they went seeking Jesus, God removed that massive rock so that they could step into the tomb. As we seek Jesus today, there are many obstacles that stand in our way. People's opinions, our doubts, our fears, our thoughts. But as we seek Jesus, God can remove all those obstacles so that we can see Jesus as we step into the truth. Matthew Henry in his commentary says, They who seek Christ diligently will find the difficulties that lie in their way to strangely vanish and themselves be helped over them beyond their expectation. Let me read that again. They who seek Christ diligently will find the difficulties that lie in their way to strangely vanish and themselves be helped over them beyond their expectation. This is what it is to live by faith. I want to make it clear this morning how important the resurrection is as a central truth of our Christian faith with the words of the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians 15, he says, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. You might think my preaching is useless anyway, and that's okay. But so is your faith. He says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. Good Friday, we remember that Jesus died for our sins. But if he remained in the tomb, that would be a noble gesture. But would have no impact on us eternally. The power of his death is validated and vindicated only by his resurrection. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 15 to say, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What an awesome truth that is. Last Monday, I attended the funeral of a wonderful lady called Alita Maria Van Dongen. Many of you know her. Alita was the mother of... Edith Donovan and mother-in-law to Tim, Omar to Josiah, Daniel, Andrew, Levi and many other grandchildren. I'd only known her for a few months after the family started attending follow, but I knew enough from the time I spent with her to see that she was a wonderful woman of God. Her life story, her testimony was one of incredible power. Jesus had indeed turned her life upside down and changed her life in incredible ways. Alita will be dearly missed by her family her friends and all who had the privilege of meeting her. And it was a sad day for the family who were left behind. But in another way, 
It was a great celebration of her life. Remembering the many memories and looking forward with eternal hope. The despair of death, which is real for so many people who are left behind at the passing of a loved one, was swallowed up. It was overwhelmed by the hope of life for one simple reason. A leader had put her faith in Jesus, who not only rose from death, but also conquered it for us. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. There is no way that a funeral such as that could be anything but hopeless without the resurrection of Christ. That's why we're gathered here to remember today. That Jesus not only died for our sins, but he conquered death by rising from it, meaning that in him we can as well. Behind me you'll see an empty cross. It was followed by an empty tomb so that you and I could have hearts that are full, full of hope, not just for this life, but for all eternity. If Jesus had never risen from the dead, we would never have even heard of him, but we do thousands of years later because he did. Jesus is not just a person in a book. He's a living presence. He's not just a historical figure that we can discuss or learn. He's someone that we can meet. Being a Christian isn't simply knowing about Jesus. It's to know Jesus as saviour and friend. To be a Christian is to know Jesus because he's not dead. Unlike every other God, he's alive. I want to finish today by taking us to John 11, the passage that Rowan mentioned, even though he didn't know I was going to take us there. I love how the Holy Spirit does that. Jesus finds himself at a funeral of sorts. It's following the death of his dear friend Lazarus, who by the time Jesus arrived had been dead for around about four days. As he arrives there, Martha, Lazarus' sister, comes to Jesus, also a dear friend of Christ. And she seems kind of agitated. And she says, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And after a brief conversation, Jesus basically says, don't stress Your brother will rise again. And just before raising Lazarus from the dead, he says these powerful words that can transform our lives as well. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And he finishes with a question to Martha. And the question is this, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Here's Martha in the despair of death, but she puts her faith in the only hope for life, Jesus Christ. And her response is quite profound. She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And shortly after, she saw her brother Lazarus raised from death to life. This miracle was about a month before an even greater miracle when Jesus himself was raised from dead, from the death. And it foreshadows the future of each of us. Jesus has risen. And if we put our faith in him, we too will be raised with him to eternal life. But before that happens, the one who claims he is the resurrection and life stands before us just as he stood before Martha. And he asks exactly the same question. He says, do you believe this? Our answer to that question is literally life or death. 
The resurrection is the truth that Christianity rests on. You take out that domino, the rest of it falls apart. It's the truth that governs our future to live eternally with God or eternally apart from him. My prayer is that this Easter, each and every one of us would answer that question by saying, yes, I believe. And if we can say yes to that question, it makes today the most incredible celebration, the anchor of our faith where we are freed from the despair of death and in Christ we are brought into the hope of life. Resurrection Sunday is a magnificent day. May we not take it for granted, but may we rest in the hope and the joy that it brings to each and every one of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.